You can either play the finite game or you can play the infinite game. Simon Sinek said it best. He said, a finite game has known players, known rules, and an agreed upon objective, like basketball. In an infinite game, there are known players and unknown players, the rules are arbitrary, and the objective is to stay in the game as long as possible. There's no such thing as winning the infinite game. Simply because it's infinite, it keeps going. The goal is to stay in the game. I believe that all of our life and career goals are in line with the infinite game. But the catch is, a lot of us are playing it with a finite mindset. I used to have this attitude that I needed to be better than my competitors and the only way that I was gonna get to the top and succeed in life is by beating my competition. In other words, I was playing the finite game. I wanted to be better than my competition and whenever I wasn't, I felt frustrated. I learned that this attitude was shutting me out from all the potential knowledge that I can pick up from my so-called competitors. So I changed my attitude. I stopped obsessing over trying to be better than my competitors. Instead, I looked at them as people that I can learn from. I paid attention and embraced what makes them so great. This way, the only competitor that I was up against was actually just myself. Trying to be better every single day just so I can stay in the game. This is what the infinite game is about. And this is why I created this podcast. New Light Network is a platform where people can learn from and connect with each other, be it students, be it professionals, while also picking up different perspectives along the way. So join the network and learn from these amazing individuals. And you can start that by simply tuning in to the conversations that happen right here at this table. This podcast is recorded as a partnership between my brand, Golden Duck Studios, and Homo Jarvis. Here at New Light Network, we are about playing the infinite game. I go by the name of Ani, and welcome to my podcast. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome our first guest, Brad Wells, who is a fourth-year business student and also the president of the Ted Rogers Student Society, which is a student-led organization within the Ted Rogers School of Management. And uh, he's here with us today. And Brad, I want to start by asking you this. Are you an infinite player? First off, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm honored to be your first guest. And I'm definitely, I would say, an infinite player. I really agree with you on what you said about always having that mindset previously of always trying to be the best or do the best and compete with everybody. But it's just not sustainable long term. And instead of always trying to be on top, it's just finding that balance to do your best and continue that long term. Because it's, in my opinion, so much better to do less amazing but then do try and do more, but not do as well. So I'm definitely would say I'm part of the infinite game. Absolutely. And Brad, if there ever was a leader in the in this community right now, it would be you because I feel like you're in this position that is very unique that I've heard of. And uh, Brad, by the way, is the president of the Ted Rogers Student Society, uh, which is fascinating to me. I think I think the whole organ organization itself. It's fascinating how big it is. And uh, prior to when we met, when we met, uh, you gave me this crazy statistic about Ted Rogers Student Society, and you told me about the valuation. What was it? I don't want to get it wrong. The, the valuation, uh, we, every year we operate with a $1.2 million operating budget. I think a lot of people will be very surprised to hear that. For sure. It's some, not something many people expect. I would say, like you were saying, we represent uh, almost 13,000 full-time TRSM students. And uh, each of those students pay into a levy to get services and experiences and opportunities from our organization. And a lot of people see might see it, you know, as an outside perspective, as a club or yeah, a student group. But it's it's honestly so much more than that. When you hear how much our operating budget is, it's it, we are essentially running a small company or even a medium-sized company as students while going to school full time, while working part time. So. When you put it into that perspective, I think it's really interesting to, to think of it that way versus it just the is. club. 100%. And when you say 13,000 students, are these, is this the whole of Ted Rogers or is it just 
you're talking about the people who've signed up to be in the society. Yeah, so every everybody in Ted Broaders, everyone enrolled in full-time studies is automatically part of, uh, they're a member of the Ted Broaders Student Society. So anyone in you know four courses is automatically a paying member into the society, um, just like a, a work union. If you're an employee with the company, you're automatically enrolled in the, the union, you pay your union dues, um, same with all the students. And what is the larger vision slash mission that you guys are going for for sure our overall mission is definitely just to provide extracurricular opportunities to students uh, and really provide them with just opportunities to enhance their academic social and professional development Uh, we work with 30 other student groups under our umbrella in addition to our own events and initiatives to really just foster that school spirit and that student body community Um, because university is like you would know university is so much more than just going to classes doing your homework and then going to sleep and repeating Um, and to get to the most at a university it's so important to get involved and take advantage of these experiential learning opportunities to learn the things that you can't learn in the classroom because that's what's really going to set you apart my philosophy since i really started in my first year was every single one of the people around me we're going to graduate with the same degree but how is that going to make us stand out Um, when thirteen thousand people have that same degree as you how is that how am i going to you know have that i guess edge on an employer when we're both we're all competing for the job so that was kind of my mindset and that's why i wanted to take advantage of the opportunities that i saw presented to me i never thought and i never even wanted to end up in this position it just kind of fell into place a few years later but before that even in first year i just knew i wanted to take advantage of these opportunities and get the most of i i could from my undergrad because I knew it was just going to be so much more than going to class and going home. I subscribe to this ideology that it's not the degree that will make you what you are, it's what you make of the degree. And uh, I would say that you're an example of that as well. But the question that I have is, you know, as you said, you came into first year, like everyone else, expecting to get the same degree as 13,000 other people. But what's the trajectory that you followed? Um that led you to where you are today. So what events did you go to and what kind of people did you meet and who did you meet over there and who did that person introduce you to and uh, what was the sort of trajectory like, if you can take... So I guess my first year journey really started in March before I ever came to... I was officially a student at the university. I, I attended the open house on March break and one of the first things that I noticed was unlike any of the schools that I toured, Ryerson had a huge focus on having their clubs and their student groups at this university fair. Um, it wasn't just about academics. They had the, at the time, the Ryerson Commerce Society had a booth set up and they were advertising their frosh. And right away, I was like, wow, no other school had their students front and center advertising a frosh like this. That, that was all behind the scenes. They wanted you to focus on the academics. So that was to me, I was like, before I had even accepted my offer to Ryerson, I really appreciated that. I'm like, I feel like this is going to be a good school for me when they are willing to let their students speak to potential students firsthand. Um, so I knew when I first came to Ryerson, I, I wanted to go to Commerce Frosh and I wanted to be involved with what was the Ryerson Commerce Society. Um, when I came to Ryerson in September, I went to Frosh first thing and at Frosh they tell you about all the different opportunities for first years and one of them that really stood out was the breakthrough program. It was a mentorship opportunity where you're paired with uh, an upper year mentor and they help you kind of through your first year. I knew that I didn't really know anyone in Toronto, I had just moved from three hours away so it was important for me to meet not only all my fellow first years but I wanted to meet some upper years too because I was a first generation university student my parents had never been they didn't really know too much about the process and what to expect so I was really on my own there I didn't have a lot of really anyone to ask questions about it too so I joined this program I met some of my best friends there we had a really great year of all the different programs Um, during that program one of the elected members of TRSS that has now rebranded was one of the mentors and she was kind of approaching everybody it was encouraging us all to apply for TRSS because she was saying it was the best decision she made in her undergrad and she wanted us to have that opportunity as well. So because she was recently elected, I decided I was going to apply under her portfolio. 
I applied as the videographer, uh, did the interview, uh, got accepted and brought onto the team. And from there on, I was just, I was an associate on the team. I really enjoyed it. It's all volunteer work. So I was really into it. And I knew that that was kind of the path I wanted to take. And I would say a few months, I would probably six months into my uh, term of being the videographer. uh, My one friend asked me, he, he had he also was hired onto the team, but he was a little bit more advanced, I would say. Like he was m- more friends with the upper years at this point. They were mentoring him versus I was still really shy. I didn't go to our student group office. I still was very much like go to school, go home, and then go to an odd event here or there. But he was way more into the whole, the whole student life scene than I was. And we were sitting after one of the football games and he said, he's, How, what do you want to do next year? Like, you're on TRSS this year, are you going to be on it again next year? Are you going to go for another student group? Like, what's your plan? And I hadn't really thought about it before that point. And I told him, I said, I think it would be cool if I maybe ran for one of these positions. Not knowing, as a little second year, like how, what the position really entailed. I just knew that my you know, friend who was the VP, I really admired what she did and everything she kind of accomplished. Um, this was so, after you got the videographer position. Yeah, so this is early second year in Octo- October 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just early on the society as videographer. And uh, the VP Marky at the time was who encouraged me to come on. And my, my other friend was like, no, you should definitely like if you want to do any of these higher positions other than an associate or videographer or anything like that, you need to get more involved and you need to let people know who you are and, you know, put your name out there and network and that was really scary to me because as i said i at this point had just been you know sitting in my apartment by myself i'd come back from class i had a nice small group of friends that i you know really great group of friends but i wasn't really a social butterfly and i wasn't networking my way anywhere so him really telling me no you've got to get yourself out there a little bit more if you ever want to move up or ever want to do more within the organization or anything at all um and he gave me some tips the first one was he said on monday you need to go into the the student group office and you just need to work there i was like but i'm scared scared to go to the office like there's so many so many old upper years he goes it doesn't matter just go sit there and you'll have to sit there for a few times before maybe people take notice or you actually build up the courage to talk to people but that was kind of the first step so that conversation that you know happened in October of second year I think was definitely the one that changed my whole perspective on university and if my friend hadn't sat me down and asked me what I wanted to do for the future I wouldn't be here where I am today and I make sure to give that friend credit because he really completely shaped my whole university experience. And uh, one of one of my favorite things about TRSS, uh, I think it's super cool, is Bayan Dandas. Um, I love that you guys have created a brand within uh, a student-led organization, and you've created hype around it in a really, really profound manner that you don't even have to go to TRSM to be like, I want that hoodie. You know what I mean? And uh, how did that come about? How, how did the whole project come about? Bay and Dundas is definitely one of those things that you can see on the street. It doesn't have Ryerson. It doesn't have Ted Rogers anywhere. But you know that's they go to Ryerson. You know what it is. Bay and Dundas came about in late 2017. So this is when I was entering uh, my first year. So I was not part of the team at the time. We have always had an apparel line for the last several years, very focused on Ryerson branded, TRSM branded apparel to show your school spirit. And we actually were, you know, transitioning from that kind of school spirit. Somebody had an idea to launch Band Dundas. We had done things with Band Dundas before, different designs, and people liked it. So they decided they wanted to re-kind of brand Band Dundas, give it the look that it has now. And they launched it at the 2017 Commerce Frosh, which was my Frosh. Uh, and I remember sitting in the audience and I had already bought probably two or three Ryerson sweaters because you're excited to go to university, you want the sweater. And I remember seeing that one and I instantly was like, wow, I, I, I want to get that. So much university apparel is, you know, just regular brand, off-brand sweaters, you don't really pay attention. And then this one where they got you, it was Champion branded, which I know a couple of years ago, Champion was what you'd buy at Walmart. And now Champion has turned itself into this big brand. So when we saw, and I saw it at my frosh, this really cool Bay and Dundas sweater, 
with champion branding, I just knew I had to have it. And the team that that year was incredibly smart. They kept ordering very limited quantities. So every time they would have a sale, it would sell out. People were waiting in line to get it. They couldn't get it. They dragged it out for months before they really wanted to make sure this is an exclusive product. And it was genius business, genius. Because I remember I went to three different apparel sales before I was finally able to get my size. So it was, it really built the hype because so many students just absolutely loved it. And we've taken that and we completely that year stopped promoting any TRSM branded merch. And we solely focused on our band Dundas brand, which over the years we've really worked to develop and make it separate. So when you see band Dundas, you don't instantly think Ted Rogers, you think of the brand band Dundas. And we actually did a feature on our Instagram uh, last year about students wearing their band Dundas, especially as they're you know in different parts of the world. And we featured four students how they on our Instagram that we had just they tagged us, we liked their photos, so we reposted it. And I realized, and the team didn't even realize at the time, three of the four students that we reposted weren't even business students. They were other faculties within Ryerson. So that was amazing to see the fact that three other members of different faculties wanted the Bay and Dundas apparel was really cool. And I would say definitely one of my favorite memory with Bay and Dundas, and we've done so much with it since, was uh, again, last summer, I got a, I woke up to a text. Somebody had sent me a Twitter feed that somebody had tweeted, I'm walking in Toronto and I've seen somebody wearing a Bay and Dundas sweater. What is the significance of this intersection? And there was over a hundred responses to this Twitter thread because it was from a verified user and people were guessing they're like, oh, it's the Canadian tire. Oh, it's the red lobster. It's a cha time. It's this ice cream. Like no, everybody was just guessing. And then different people were like, no, it's Ryerson. It's the business school. They were linking our site. And it was just really cool. And the, the, the person who tweeted that tweeted a few hours later because they were making fun of Bay and Dundas. They're like, this is a boring intersection. And then they got so many people commenting to it. They're like, okay i'm kidding i'm sorry it's a very famous intersection i'm sorry i disrespected it and it was the coolest thing that so many people on twitter you know people knew what it was but then there were so many people who didn't know what it was and it was just the fact that somebody saw it on the street and thought to tweet it we thought was the coolest thing it's also something about the mystery right uh, it's um the fact that the name ryerson's not there the ted rogers is not there but it's still very significant in the academic sense and the the student life sense it's like if you know you know and if you don't know it's just you wouldn't really think much of it exactly and do you know who the verified user was who tweeted this out i can't remember but i definitely could find the tweet if you look up bay and dundas you'll find it there that's really cool i really think that bay and dundas is probably one of the coolest ventures that you guys have taken up and i'm very excited to see what you guys come up with thank you we're always coming up with new projects and it's so much fun because we hire apparel associates every year to the TRSS team and they essentially get to run this brand that does tens of thousands of dollars in revenue as a student. They get to decide the for that year the direction of the brand. They launch new products, take away old ones, host pop-up sales, run an online web store and just experience that you can't get your you get to run your own business without having to take the risk yourself because you're doing it with the society and with our resources. Um, so this is the apparel team is like a dream for anybody who's interested in starting their own clothing brand, but just doesn't have the capital. And how did you get champion to make your hoodies? We have a really good supplier. Um, so we outsource, we get, we buy the champions wholesale and then we print our, uh, our logos on it. All right, we'll move on to our next segment per se. And this is probably the one that I was very excited for today because I also have taken up a new role as president of my course union. Yes. And um, it's a tricky role. You know, I didn't realize how much organization, how much mental strength you need to be a leader. So I can only imagine at your level, the kind of leadership skills that you need to thrive. Does the pressure of the role strike you at times? There's definitely been times, especially right in the beginning, the early days, where you realize, you know, how much is at stake and how much is on your shoulders. And it, it feels weird even talking about this because I know at the end of the day, it's a student group. But at the same time, it's not just a student group because we're dealing with a, a huge budget, 68 team members under me, 
30 student groups with last year 927 uh, student leaders all falling under the TRSS umbrella. So it's sometimes really easy to get caught up in the how much is also on your shoulders, but it does. It, I would say it definitely goes away um, at times because you get passionate about it. You're really, I'm really interested in the role and wanting to succeed. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely been times where it, it, like it weighs on you of how much impact and how the thing I wasn't expecting the most was how every decision that I make, whether it be for students or even sometimes in my personal life, how that had a ripple effect and how that impacted so many people. And every decision, especially with TRSS, every decision we make there impacts up to 12, 13,000 students in one way or another. Sometimes it's directly, sometimes it's just indirectly or has a huge impact or a minimal impact. Some way that decision is going to impact somebody. Absolutely. So do you, would you say that you've sort of managed to put a lock on it and you've gotten to the point where you don't think about how much is at stake and you've gotten to the point where you just do? I would say yes, because it's similar to, I don't want to think about how much is at stake the same way I don't want to think, I don't want to take the role for granted. We've seen too many people who get leadership positions in the past and they let it go to their head. They let them, oh, I'm the face of this organization that represents this many people. They think they're top of the food chain, but like nobody's ever the top of the food chain. Sure, you're one of your, you know, you have this one of this very high up role here in university. In two years, you're going to graduate and you're going to be the bottom of the food chain again. So it's really important for me both to stay humble and recognize that, yes, this is a role that not many students will ever have the opportunity to hold. But also knowing that there is a lot on my shoulders and just trying to find that balance and find some sense of normalcy. How did you manage to stay humble? And was there ever a time where it probably got to your head as well? Oh, I would say if I was in this position two years ago, it would have gone straight to my head and not made me humble. But I think having this position and having the constant fear that I was afraid people would not see me as humble or not see me as bragging or stuff like that 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 really got to me so i worked very hard to make sure that i wasn't letting it get to my head and uh, making sure that when i'm talking with people they don't instantly assume one of my at least i like never want to introduce myself as hi i'm brad the president of trss i just want to be brad because the role is you know it's what i'm doing now but it's not forever a part of me if that makes sense i'm going to move on to different things in the future so staying humble was super super important to me because i didn't want to be that person because i don't think that those people are very effective leaders and i don't think they actually get things done so i wanted to take use this opportunity that i have while i get to hold this position to get as much done as i can and to do that i wanted to make sure that i had the support kind of around me and not look at this great position i have i admire that attitude a lot and um, something about being humble as well is it lets you focus on what needs to be done. You're right. A lot of people who, when it gets to their head, they get carried away with the the glory of it all. And um, yeah, 100%, I agree with you. And you said that you you had about 80 people under you? 60? 68 people, yeah. 68, okay. And how do you communicate with them? Is Do you have like an ongoing relationship with each of them? Or is there a panel that's separate from the 68 that you're closely working with and then those people closely work with the rest? Yeah. Is it like that? So, yeah, I would say for sure, because with 68 people, it would be impossible. Um, You eventually throughout the course of the year, you get good at knowing everybody's names and everybody's faces. But to this day, we're two months into their role and I don't I only know a handful of people off the top of my head. If I would see them on the street to know to to know they're on the team, especially with it changing every year, it's hard. I work very closely with the six other executive or five other executive members, six including myself. Each executive member on the team, they hold their own portfolio and they're responsible for the different operations of TRSS, whether it be we have a marketing department, our events department, they all heavily focus on their portfolios. And I really, a big part when I started this role was I wanted to make sure I wasn't meddling in anyone's portfolio because each VP runs, we get elected for these positions, and each VP ran with uh, an idea or a goal in mind. And I didn't want my goals to overthrow theirs. So I wanted to make sure that what they were elected to do, they actually got to do and succeed. So sure, there are times where I'll be, you know, 
giving some of my input or my direction down, uh, top down. But for the most part, I really want to let them own their portfolios. And then they each work with their teams. We have some teams that are six people. We have another team that is 20 people. The marketing team is the largest. So each one, each VP there really oversees their own committee as well. And then, of course, they work very closely with the 15 um, board of directors as well. We have the six executives and then nine directors that represent the different faculties uh, within TRSM. I want to move into sort of a general um, topic of leadership. You know, let's put TRSS aside for a second. And Bradwell's as a person, as a leader, what does leadership mean to you? Like for me, it's a lifestyle. I feel like you should be a leader in every little thing that you do. And uh, that's how you get to know how people work. That's how you know when you're put in a team, how you can manage those different personalities. And um, so for me, it's a lifestyle. How do you view leadership? Leadership is 100% a lifestyle. And it's providing these people under you or the people beside you or that you're working with or even above you just to find the opportunity to thrive and motivate and empower is is huge you know no matter if the person the i'm working for someone above me or there's somebody working below me i always think it's so important that everybody feels empowered there's a huge difference between being a leader and being a manager and a lot of people fail to realize that uh, our honorary president for TRSS, who is a law professor, very successful lawyer in his professional career, does leadership training and has really helped us and our team. And really, he emphasizes the fact that there are managers that you will run through a wall for. You will do or there are leaders that you'll run through a wall for that you'll do whatever they ask you because they've empowered you and you just would do anything for them. There are other leaders and there are other like quote unquote leaders and managers who if they ask you to do something, you basically only have to do it because they're your boss. And if you don't do it, you lose your job or you'll get fired or something like that. But you don't want to run through a wall for them and you're not going to do it with excitement and joy. So I think really as a leader, anyone, whether it's a group project in class, whether it's a friendship or uh, an actual leadership position at work, trying to empower those around you so that when you work together, they, they want to work, they want to do that, and they want to run through that wall for you is really important. This again remind, reminds me of something that Simon Sinek said, you know, referring back to him, he said that great leaders inspire action, they don't dictate. Exactly. And uh, that's definitely what you're trying to say as well. And uh, how do you inspire? How do you um, navigate those different personalities? And how do you get the best out of them? It's definitely been a learning experience and an opportunity this whole time. My biggest thing is I don't want to be a micromanager. As a somebody who's passionate about what I do, I hate when there's somebody breathing down my neck, having to run decisions by people and not just being able to do. So a big thing for me when I was starting this position is I want everyone to feel empowered just to do. I have a team this year that was coming to me with you know, they were big decisions, but they were always coming to me to see what I thought. And I told them, I'm like, I just want you to do it. If you if you want to do this do it this way, go for it. Sometimes I'll give people, you know, this is the end goal. This is what I we need to see happen. This is what I want to see happen. But I don't care how you get there because everybody's going to find their own way to get there and do it the in their, their way, which I think will work better than if I was every step of the way kind of dictating how I think it should go and just taking that step back and letting them do it, which I think empowers them more too because if there's not, when there's somebody breathing down your neck, you're afraid of messing up. But I think it's important with leaders to know, and any leader, and I've seen this with people I've worked with and worked under in the past, that when you mess up, you don't want to be afraid. You want to take it as a learning opportunity. And it really helps when you have a leader that will understand and not get, you know, sort of frustrated with you that you're not doing that. I think I think that's what a manager would do. Um, but when you can take care of your people like that, when you've taken care of your team members so much so that when they mess up, their first instinct is not to be afraid. It means you're a good leader. I hope. Yes, exactly. I would say when you're with a manager and you mess up, you're instantly going to be like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in trouble. But when you're and I'm speaking from my own experience, having a manager who I would just do what I was told because I had to versus having somebody that I really look up to and inspire when I mess up, it's 
not only do I get to learn, but I don't want to disappoint them. And I think having that shift in mindset is really, really important because when you're making those mistakes, either getting in trouble or disappointing someone provoke two very, very different reactions. And I think it really goes to show which reaction it provokes is what kind of person you're reporting to. How do you, I'm sure you have to work with different personalities and some are very familiar some you know you've seen before you're very comfortable with but some you know, there's there's always one or two people who will come by and you're like hmm how do i deal with them how do i they're a hard shell to crack and what do you do in those situations and how do you navigate that so you can get the best out of them and make them feel comfortable as a part of your team absolutely i always try and watch for signs when i first meet someone i try and kind of assume what i think they would best respond to and sometimes if the, if they're not maybe the most outgoing person or they don't outright say, I always ask them, what leadership style do you respond to best? Some people do want to be micromanaged and they do want you to check in with them every step of the way. Other people just want the end goal and then they want to take the project and go do their own thing. So I think really just asking people to what their expectations are of a leader is really important. And setting your my expectations as well, telling my team that, hey, I want to have a hands-off approach here because I really want you to learn and grow and do this on your own. So then they're not wondering like, oh, Brad hasn't checked in on me. Like, what does that mean? Stuff like that. No, like I just, I really want everyone to feel kind of empowered to do their own thing and adjusting, of course, to what what they want and what they need. Because um, not no two people are ever the same. And we've seen year over year that people together on the same team need very different leadership styles. And my first thing is always to try and ask, you know, assume what they need, but also ask what they need because they'll, they'll hopefully be honest with you. That's very interesting that you say that you, you go to them and you straight up ask them that, how do you like to be managed? That's a new approach. I think I'm going to definitely use that. And, um, one of the things that's been hard, especially for me is adapting, adapting to a virtual environment, you know, given the pandemic and everything, you hardly get to see your team and we're social animals. You know, we, um, form connections when we're face to face and for you to manage a team at that caliber uh, at that level how was it virtually it was very challenging at first and I think we were all kind of on the same boat similar to you like you said a social butterfly a party animal I was always at school almost you know 12 16 hour days sometimes I'd be there from seven in the morning to two in the morning. Like I was just always in the office, always working, always hanging out with people, seeing people. So starting that isolation period where we went months without seeing anyone from outside of our household because we didn't know what this virus was, was definitely challenging at first, especially my team and I, we had luckily had that opportunity to go to a conference as a team. Um, the six of us, this was the first big time we ever got to do anything together. So we had that bonding experience before we went virtual, which I think really helped us. Because then when we were virtual, we realized how much we liked each other and how much we wanted to be friends, but also work well together. So we all took it upon ourselves to make sure that we were engaging, staying in touch with one another. And we wanted that to trickle down to our team. So each VP being responsible for their own portfolio had to do a lot of creative thinking to host socials and just different opportunities kind of to get their team out and involved. We did things that we have never done in the past. And I genuinely think that last year, our TRSS team of 68 people, 71 people last year was more engaged than ever before because we got to do things like virtual happy hours or virtual games nights, uh, random late night calls on Discord on because we never had a platform like that. We've always used Slack or professional platforms like that that don't foster a lot of communication. The only time we would uh, socialize would be in the office, but we couldn't have an office this year because we were all work from home. So finding new ways and doing things like full team happy hours were really beneficial and are things that I want to continue when we do see a return to work and a return to our office because we had committee members from different committees meeting each other and becoming friends when they never would have in the past because they would stick to, you know, maybe some of their people from just their committee. And then there's also, it's like every every workplace, there's always like a few people who are really close by the end of it. And then there's a whole bunch of other people in the workforce, in the, the job that maybe don't know each other as much because they don't work as much or they're not hanging out in the break room as much. So finding a way to make sure that even the people who aren't 
comfortable going maybe to our office like I was in second year was completely uncomfortable going to the office before that one friend convinced me to and making sure they get to still be engaged um, and I think that really helped in a virtual environment because it got to separate those barriers because at the end of the day we were all sitting behind our computer screens and not there was not one super loud person because we were all the same especially when when you know you're not meeting your teams firstly did you did you I know you're going into your second year of presidency. Uh, is this is this the same team that you're working with, or is there new people? So it's a completely new team this year. I was the only returning uh, member, and this year it's definitely been more challenging because we haven't had that opportunity to meet at least as the six executives because the executives always become very close by the end of the term because we work so closely with one another throughout the year and we communicate daily, and we didn't have that opportunity to go to a conference together and really get to know on each other on a personal level. So we've had to do different strategies um, to get to know on each other and still work in this virtual environment together. And it's it presented even more challenges than last year because it's just not it's not possible to meet up yet. Um, so when it is, I know we're all going to do it and we're going to we love it. But until then, we've had to come up with some new strategies and find ways to become more connected on that personal level when the only time we really get to see each other is through scheduled professional meetings. In those times, I imagine that, especially when you're taking over a new team, um, to establish trust would be a very tricky thing to do. How did you manage that? Um, not just virtually, just how do you establish trust in your team? I agree, yeah, trust is something that no matter virtual, in person, whatever it is, is super important. and. I think my way of trying to establish trust with my team was to first trust them. Um, it, I wanted to be able to learn what they were like and how they operate and how they act and kind of their goals uh, for their positions um, and really understand that and let them know that I'm here to support them and help them achieve their goals kind of in any way that I can. And just as I want to assume the best in people, so I automatically, until I'm given a reason not to trust someone, I want to trust them. Um, and I hope I, when I you know, demonstrate that I'm automatically trustworthy, I really, again, I don't want to micromanage. I don't, I don't think that that's very proactive. And I hope that that translates um, to the team. And I hope that in me trusting them, it helps them uh, trust me as well. But what you've done in your case, is that you've given the, or like you've already trusted them. Yeah, I would say the opposite. I don't normally think the mindset that trust is earned and not given. I want to give the trust because I know from my own personal bias, if there's somebody who I don't trust off the bat, I'm never going to trust them. I'm always, no matter what they do, I'm going to think it's, even if it's right, I'm going to automatically jump to, oh, that's wrong or that's incorrect or oh, like something's amiss about it. So for me, automatically giving them the trust until I've been given a reason not to, I think has been super helpful for me and reducing the biases. And I think people will surprise you when I've seen numerous leaders over the course of years, whether they be equals, uh, higher than, less than, just giving them a little benefit of the doubt and letting them get the trust instead of making them earn it has surprised me. And I think it just saves that whole extra step of, not having trust, then make getting them trust, and then maybe taking it away again. Like when they automatically have the trust, you are removing that step. That's a very interesting take. I would have never thought of it that way. Is that because even if there is a personality that's not doing something exactly how I want it to, but that's also maybe because I'm a bit of a control freak, which I'm trying to curb. Um, I find it really hard to trust trust people at that situation, and the fact that you can do you do you sit still. Or and just let the person do their thing, even when you think something isn't right? I think to a certain degree, yes. I Similar to you, before this, I was a massive control freak. You can ask people, you know, my parents, my friends, people I lived with two years ago, how everything had to be perfect and everything had to be maybe my way or it was just very meticulous. And I realized with the position that I'm in now and moving into life that I was going to go crazy. There, I had to just take a step back and chill a little because if I was worrying about every little detail not being absolutely perfect, it was going to affect me physically, mentally, emotionally. So taking a step back and realizing that it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay for things not to be perfect or not be the way I envisioned it originally, and it'll still turn out okay. So I think like 
letting my team in until there's a reason to step in and be like, oh, I would have done it differently or you did it wrong. Unless, unless it blows up or I think it's going to blow up, I really want to let them uh, make the mistakes and, and things like that and then provide that learning opportunity after. Um, sometimes now in my second term, I know that, oh, this is not the way you're going to do. It's not very effective. I've done it that way before and I recommend changing it. And I'll provide that insight if I can, if it's helpful. But if they still want to do it that way, I don't want to stop them. Um, and I'll let them kind of figure it out themselves that, hey, that's maybe not the most effective way to do it. But I really, if I worried about every little detail in my life within the organization, within school, I would be crazy 24-7. So I think it's really important to, for me to take a step back and reduce the control and reduce the idea that I have to control everything. I think this also ties in with the whole getting it into your head thing. I think when, when it gets to your head, you feel like you're in control of everything. Right, I'm the president. I can do whatever I want. Um, so not true. So not true. <laughs> not true. So not true. And I've had instances in my life where I've learned that the hard way as well. And going into this new term um, of you know being leading this course union, I think that's one mistake that I absolutely want to avoid from the start. And I think I've been doing a pretty good job at it. But um, yeah, and and another and another thing that I'm I've sort of wondered about is consistency what does consistency mean to you in a in the context of leadership consistency for me is it's it's a battle right because you you want to be consistent to the sense that people you know know how you operate and they understand you but you don't want to be too consistent because you know traditions are great and i've said this to many students student groups in the past traditions are awesome but sometimes we just do traditions because they're comfortable. No company in the world has ever been started based on people just doing the same thing over and over or things like that. Like people, innovations happen because people are willing to be uncomfortable and are willing to try new things. So while traditions are really great, especially in the sense of student life and student leadership, it's so important to break traditions. So I think consistency is good to a point. It's nice to be consistent with how I act and operate because if I'm okay with something now, I don't want to switch the consistency and not be okay with that and then be okay with it again. Like I want to stay consistent with how I lead and my leadership style. But in terms of thinking and in terms of just the uh, operations, I want to be as inconsistent as possible because that's when new ideas are formed and that's when we see things flourish and grow and innovation happen. That's interesting that you say it's important to be inconsistent as well. So a good balance of consistency and inconsistency. Yeah, I would say like for leadership style, like I want to be consistent leadership style. I want people to always know what they can expect from me and uh, like the support that kind of way. But in terms of thinking and I don't want to think the same ever. Like I want to see different perspectives. So I think really finding that perfect balance of consistency and inconsistency is key. I would agree with that. You have to change with the times, you have to adapt, and your thinking needs to evolve with the organization. For sure, like as I said, traditions are comfortable because we, we do them and sometimes it's really hard to change traditions, but I told a group of student leaders last year who were planning their events for the year, nobody remembers the students and the student leaders who just do the same thing year over year. We, you know, we have a Ted Rogers management conference, biggest conference that we host. It's one of the largest business conferences for students in North America. Nobody remembers who like the fourth chair was or the seventh chair of the conference. People remember who was the first chair because they're the ones that stepped out of the box to create this conference. People remember the chairs from the significant milestone years who brought in amazing guest speakers or cha completely changed the course of the conference. People remember those because they were willing to break tradition. But the people who just were kind of upheld the traditions and were consistent, they didn't make much of an impact. And while they obviously played a very important role, and I don't want to downplay all the hard work they did, um, they're just not seen in the same light as you know innovators or disruptors. Um, so that was really important for me, and I really wanted to drive that message home with the student leaders that it's okay to break traditions because sometimes traditions aren't even that good, and we just do them because we don't want to be the one to change things up. And we saw last year with COVID and just the student leadership landscape changing, we saw so many new events and initiatives added, and so many older ones were cut 
And it was the, one of the most successful years, if not the most successful year, I think, that student leadership at the Ted Rogers School of Management has ever had. It's it's also the getting out of your comfort zone thing. I, I think it applies to every one of us, even at a life level. You know, you, you it's very rewarding to get out of your comfort zone. And I can relate that with what you're saying with that as a leader, you need to think differently, put the organization outside the comfort zone so that that can grow as well. Wow. That's powerful, man. Thank That's you. That's really powerful. I'm, I'm learning a lot over here. <laughs> All right, this is a question that we both were discussing yesterday. Um, given the experience that you already have uh, or had, and um, what's something that you look back and say, you know, I could have done that differently as a leader? I think hindsight is one of those things that it's really important to have, but also at the same time, I don't want to let it hold me back. And I know there's been countless times over the course of the last year, two years, three years that I wish I would have done things a little bit differently, especially in this role. You look back at how a situation unfolded and you're like, wow, if I would have just done this a little different, then it would have ended differently and better. But I think it's really important to, you know, recognize and acknowledge, you know, the hindsight and what you should have done, but just to learn from it. I think one of the biggest things I wish I would have done was just have be smarter about what I thought COVID was gonna evolve into. But when we were in the summer, cutting things and thinking we couldn't host or do certain things because virtual um, and then realizing four months later oh no we can do team socials or we can do this or we can do that but at the time we didn't know that and it's just assuming that we would have done it differently knowing what we know now but i don't want to let things like that hold hold me back and yeah mistakes have been made but instead of focusing on wow how that i made that mistake or how that ended up I really want to focus on how it's going to change for the future and how I'm not going to make that same mistake again and just trying to share that knowledge I think my team and I last year luckily this year we knock on wood uh, haven't had that situation yet but looking all the way back from last year my team and I can all admit there was many times where oh wow we wish we would have led differently or we wish we would have done this differently but it was just we really took what we learned from that and we we're making sure we apply it to our own life so it doesn't happen again and letting next year's team and you know five-year team down the line don't make this mistake and learning from it is all we can do that was specific to trss wasn't it it was pretty specific yeah right in hindsight i feel you know my personal life professional life there have definitely been so many mistakes or so many things that I wish I, I would have done differently. But at the end of the day, I always try and think of it as what did I learn from that? And I really don't want it to dwell on it. I used to be, and I still sometimes am, a big dweller, thinking of how things could have ended differently or if I would have just done this or seen the signs or reacted a little bit differently. But as long as I don't make the same mistake twice, I would say either way, it's still a success. If I'm, you know, constantly thinking oh i should have not done that and then do it again i'm not learning from that and i'm not going to grow as a person so really acknowledging uh, the mistakes at the time and just how i can learn from that and move forward um, is important and i because i think dwelling on the past regardless of what it is uh, will just eat up at you and how are you supposed to move forward and do better if you're always worried about the past and 90% of the time I feel like it's just you dwelling on it other people around you or the aren't dwelling on it the situation's kind of fizzled out and it's just you constantly worried so just taking what you learned and running with that so you don't do it again is I would say so would you say because I definitely go through a similar um, habit as well you know I tend to dwell on things as well and um, overthinking, you can call it. Overthinking. is. I think we're very similar people. Like overthinking is huge. Absolutely. And especially when you have that leadership position, you don't want to mess up. And, you know, there's always that part of you where like, you know, I, oh, damn, I hope I don't mess up. I hope I can make a good thing out of this. Sometimes you don't. That's fine. Exactly. That's fine. You learn like everyone else. Um, this, uh, this, okay, this is a topic that I wanted to touch on because I feel like a lot of people can learn from this. Putting yourself out there is very rewarding and you're a good example of that. And the whole trajectory thing that we talked about before where you, 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 know, you got into the breakthrough program, you met people there, you made friends there and they told you to apply and the conversation that you had with your friend. So these sort of like events and opportunities create more opportunities. And what's, 
what what would you say is one habit that a student needs to adapt into their university life that could just really end up helping them and be very rewarding getting over the fear of what other people think i think is huge and just doing things for you uh, and trying to get the most and realizing that you are the only person in control or they're the only person in control of their experience not blaming other people stepping out of the comfort zone and realizing like everything happens kind of for a reason i'm a firm believer no matter what it is in life that no matter what happens i feel like it's happening for a reason if it's good or it's bad something will come out of it things that went super wrong for me ended up becoming really good because of the, the thing that went wrong and i just think it's so important to kind of adapt to that mindset and I think for students who are interested in getting involved, meeting more people, uh, and just realizing that their experience is completely what they make of it. And it's never too late to change. So many of us, my, by the end of my first year, I was like, wow, this university is not going however, like at all the way I want it to. Uh, I don't have, I'm not sitting on in the park with 30 people, a group of friends like you see in movies. Um, but it's like, I want to. So how do I get there? And just doing whatever it takes and realizing it's never too late to change that. We see every year, yeah, some first years are super involved and engaged and are where they want to be. But some people don't get there until their fourth year. And, and that's totally okay. And just always kind of accepting that and doing what, you know, trying your best to put yourself out there, I would say is key. Um, what what is the most ambitious project that uh, you've been a part of in TRSS? I would say the biggest project was not. I don't think it's something that most people would consider, even maybe consider a project, or that would be the first thing they think of. Because especially when I was in the marketing role two years ago, that was a lot of projects. But the one I think I'm most proud of that had the most impact was the culture shift for the organization we treat i treat it very much like a business like i'm running an organization that i need to serve my members and if i'm not serving my members i'm not doing a good job or that they're not getting their money worth from the society then something's amiss and before that i think the mentality with the organization was very much like oh this is a club and we're going to be a little not self-serving but we're going to target a smaller group of students and that being student leaders it was very targeted towards, you know, the thousand students and the other 12,000, in my opinion, were a little neglected. And even the thousand students that were targeted had negative perceptions about TRSS and the culture uh, that we had. We did a survey right when I started my role. I knew from other speaking to people like they didn't they didn't see the organization how I saw it. I saw it as this amazing thing that I just dreamed to be part of. And it was an honor to be there. Other people saw it as this annoying governing body that stepped on toes, got in people's way, and was just basically, you know, a micromanager, and impacted their operations negatively. And that I didn't, I hated that the, the people saw that about the group, and I, I really wanted to change that. We did a survey to get people's opinions, like, what do you think of TRSS? What, do you, what, how have we supported you? How have we not supported you? And it was almost disheartening to see like people's honest opinions anonymously and the answers for how we supported you were very small, but the answers for how we not supported you were huge. But that was such an eye-opening point, I think, taking 100 responses from a survey and realizing, okay, these are all the ways they, we have not supported them. Let's take this as our to-do list for the year. So I think the project that I'm obviously most proud of is that culture shift because I really think in just a few short months we took that list of why everybody hates us and used it to our advantage to make it why everybody likes us. And by the end of the year, the, the shift was just so different. The student leaders, and not everyone's going to feel that way, and I can think of a handful who would completely disagree with this statement, but majority were so kind and just were very honest telling us how much they appreciated the shift. And we did the same survey this year, and the results were so different than last year's survey. And the results were how have we not supported you were almost empty, and how have we supported you were basically the the thing, the opposite from last year, and they were what we had to work on. So I think that the, the this culture has been like my biggest project, and uh, I'm very proud of kind of how that turned out. 
I think that's better than any singular project that you could achieve on your own. Just winning people over, changing that perception is extremely difficult. And you've pulled that off. So, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Like, it's not as interesting for sure as watching a new, like a Bay and Dundas line or something like that. That all happened before my time. But we've got to do some really cool things since then. Um, but I hope that the culture, you know, projects and initiatives come and go. But I really think culture is there to stay. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that the culture that we got to create, my team last year, my team this year that's fostering, uh, that's, I hope that project is something that we get to keep around for a long time. And it's not a boring answer at all. <laughs> I feel like as a leader especially, I can relate. And it's, it's just that satisfaction that you feel that you've made a change, right? Sure. And uh, I'm, I'm in a very similar situation where you know, I'm taking on this leadership role, but the union that I'm a part of, a lot, not a lot of people know about the Image Arts Course Union. We're a small program. And the thing about Ted Rogers is that when people think of TRSM, they do think of TRSS as well. And that's that, that sort of real estate that you guys have managed to acquire in people's brains. That's your biggest success, in my opinion. And uh, I'm trying to do something very similar with the Image Arts Course Union. I am not saying that I will achieve it by the end of the year but definitely set the tone for it set the process for it if you have it in your mind i think that that's what you want to achieve and you follow the steps and try and get there and speak to the people around you and kind of get your team on board i definitely think you'll be able to achieve that and like what's i guess as you becoming you're now you're the president of the course union as well what's your big project for the year what is the one like everybody kind of maybe it's more than one thing even but what are some things that you want to leave when you're done your term that people can look back on and know that you know that was kind of your legacy? Like, what do you want to leave behind? When you say, um, so something tangible, not something like a culture shift, something tangible. It, it honestly could be either. Like, what, what do you want your legacy to be? Whether it's a culture shift, whether it's a new event, a new project, uh, a new service, like what, kind of what, what do you want your legacy to be? That is a question I need to uh, ponder upon for sure. I think you've planted a seed in my head and I think that would be a good uh, direction for me to um, take my leadership to. Um, it's definitely ambitious. I want to put it on the map, put the IMAQ is what we call ourselves. Uh, put it on the map. Um, just create that that perception again, you know. When you think of Image Arts, the School of Image Arts, you think of Image Arts Course Union. That's that's what I want, but that's, that's sort of the effect I would say, but uh, your question is making me think more about the what. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say that. I think it, it's so open-ended and I think it took, I, I didn't have an answer the first time somebody ever asked me that question too because it's like, oh, you're right. Like, I, I have no idea. But I think that is something key. Like, what what do you want to get out of it and what do you want to leave behind will help help a lot and kind of direct you for the your vision for the team and your vision for the year and we'll just be like that it'll always be in the back of your mind did you have uh an answer to that question not the first time somebody asked me uh the first time somebody brought it up i was like i just want to like run the team what do you mean like what do you mean what's my i just was my mindset was like oh i just want to continue but I, I realized after they asked me that, no, I don't just want to continue. I, I don't want to just follow traditions. I don't want to be, like I was saying earlier, the fourth chair of the conference that nobody is necessarily, they, you know, nobody's going to remember. They didn't leave a legacy behind. And I, I don't care about the legacy. I don't, you know, five years from now, I, I'm not expecting my name to still even be remembered at school. And that's okay. But I hope that I, you know, five years from now, something I did or, will still be, you know, actionable. I, I don't care about the credit as much, but I really want to, to make that positive change. Um, so when somebody asked me that question, I had not really thought of it because I was like, oh, I just was, my initially was just going to continue the operations. And then I was like, oh, the, I can do more than that. So It's very admirable. It shows me that you're in it for the right reasons, which is also very important. You need to be in it for the right reasons. And see, these positions are not don't do them for the wrong reasons because you're not going to be very successful at them and it's going to show like you've got to be really passionate about it you want to make change you want to make a difference because um, it's you know it's a lot of work it's a lot of time and commitment um, and you know you don't necessarily see the reward instantaneously i think it will help you so much down the line i talk to recruiters all the time who when they see ryerson student leader 
on your resume, they instantly, okay, I want to hire you. Like you're top of my resume pile. Oh, is that a thing? Oh, 100%. People, I was speaking with a recruiter. I'm not going to name the company. And she said when she gets resumes, if she sees a Ryerson student group on the resume over any other school student group, their resume is going to the top of her pile because she knows how Ryerson student leaders act. We, Ryerson provides us with leadership opportunities that we can like we can't find at other universities. Sure, there's student groups. I'm connected with twenty some, twenty five other you know business student associations from around Canada, and none of them operate to the scale that we do. None of them operate to the scale that other student societies here at Ryerson, student unions, course unions. They don't operate nearly to our scale. Like Ryerson student leadership is genuinely something else, and I think. Our school definitely needs to capitalize on that more because that was the deciding factor for me coming to the school. And I just wish that, you know, so many people would see that and recognize that because I think it's so important. And when you say Ryerson student leader, this is you're obviously referring to programs outside of Ted Rogers as well. Oh, absolutely. I think any student leader from Ryerson, it's just that our student groups are at another level mm-hmm. than and I think it's it's really stands out no matter what. People love, recruiters love to see that you're involved because we were talking about this earlier. Everybody graduated, 13,000 people from our program, you know, 40,000 from across the university are all graduating with a degree from Ryerson. But what, okay, that's a piece of paper. What sets you apart when you're going through the, you know, 40,000 resumes? It's this leadership experience. No matter what, this a different recruiter was telling me that they go for the people, their experience. You know, yeah, you have a degree, whether it came from Rotman or uh, U of T or Ryerson, York, whatever university, it's still a degree. You still have the bachelors of whatever, but they look at the student leadership because you learn all these things in a student group that are really going to help you and give you an advantage to the workplace. Student leadership is essentially job experience. You learn time management, team management, setting expectations, responsibilities, uh, working on tasks some portfolios you know you're directly doing things that you know if you're a marketing student and you're working on a marketing portfolio you're doing things that you're probably going to be doing uh in a professional my co-op right now that i'm in this summer is just like the work i used to do on the marketing team social media making videos creating newsletters like it's all it ties in so nicely and i've been able to really capitalize on my student leadership experience so i would tell any student who's thinking, you know, maybe I should get involved, like you should do it because it's going to help you so much more down the line. You also have all these resources at your disposal that people would just kill for. Absolutely. It's it's the power, you know, you don't, you come into university and, you know, you're essentially powerless, but these positions of power, you can make the best out of it. And it's very rewarding to put yourself out there. It's scary, like you said, and I think one of the most important things that I take away from our conversation today is that you have to get over the fear. You have to get over the fear of, you know, what are people going to think of me? What am I going to do that uh, there? Am I am I going to am I going to mess it up? And once you get over all that and actually put yourself out there and actually mess up, Mm -hmm. I think it's good to mess up. There's always going to be fear, no matter what. Even I still have fear. Two years into this role, I've been in on the same student group for four years now, and there's still times where you know the imposter syndrome or you're doubting yourself or somebody questions your leadership or questions what you're doing or criticizes and you have that fear like oh no but it's just finding a way to like overcome that and manage it and not let it hold you back because if I was when I as I said making decisions that are impacting so many people if I didn't make those decisions because I was afraid of the outcome nothing would ever get done sometimes I make the wrong decision and I have to deal with that but if I never made that decision, then I would say that I would still be worse off. Some of this stuff that you've said today, absolute gold, absolute gold. I've learned, I've learned, and I've been in a leadership position. And a lot of the things that you've said, you know, I've learned before as well. But, you know, just, I'm, I'm just imagining from the perspective of a student who's just come in like first year or second year. They listen to this and they're like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this, this is, this is exactly what I'm thinking about. I'm just fearful of it. But listening to this, they'll be like, okay, fine. So he felt the same way, but he's here now. So what if I put myself out there 
let's see just let's just see what happens i hope people get that it's a, okay i was not the loud one at frosh i was not the one that was winning the awards or being the one that everybody knew at the end of frosh that was that was the complete opposite of me i was the shy one that i don't talk to anybody i met that week because i was too afraid to really go out of my comfort zone and do that and i like that's okay because i think so many people start university and they they think they'll they'll be on top or they if they don't make a mark they're not going to get there but somebody said this to me and really stuck with me is you know you go through high school and you come to university as a first year your grade 12 year is going to look a lot different than your first year because in grade 12 you were top of the food chain you were old you had just built four years up to having the best year ever when you come back to university you're at the bottom again of course it's not going to be the best year ever um, and I think realizing that, oh, it's only going to get better. It's hard to adjust when you go from like having all the friends in grade 12, you graduate, all the teachers love you, to now you're back in first year. You don't know many people and you're afraid. And that's okay. And I just, it's so important for students and, and people listening to know that they can, you know, you make the most of what it is. And if you're not the loudest person in the room or the most exciting or the one that everybody knows from after Frosh, that's okay. We see year over year. Frosh is a big part of our culture at TRSM. Everybody four years later is talking about their Frosh. And I still talk about mine too, but my, the way I talk about mine was, is a lot different than some, the way other people talk about theirs. And knowing, just knowing that I would never have assumed I would be kind of here today just based on how shy I was at Frosh. As I said, refusal to talk to anybody. Um, but yeah. And once you get out of university... You're again at the bottom of the food chain. Exactly. And I feel like every time you either get a promotion or you move to a new organization, it's it's a cycle that'll just keep repeating itself. So you might as well get used to it, embrace it, and learn how to navigate it. And accept it. It's everything you said and just accepting it. Accept it. And it's okay. Exactly. Brad, I can't thank you enough for blessing us with a lot of knowledge today. And I've learned a lot. And I hope the listeners have learned a lot as well. And... Um, I think this this is great. This is better than any first episode that I could ask for. So thank you so much. And uh, you've really made us realize that putting yourself out there is in fact very rewarding. And your university life is what you make of it. And uh, this is the call to action is that, you know, put yourself out there. I agree. And honestly, thank you so much for having me. I was honored when you asked me to be the first guest on your new podcast. I hope it was everything that you wanted it to be. And, and more that's really good to hear and i hope that anybody listening whether they be first year second year or even professionals high school students whoever it might be i hope that some of the things that i've learned over the past few years will help people get ahead and get that advantage because i wish some of the things that i i don't like being a preacher and i don't i'm not that i don't want to be that person but i just wish somebody would have shared this advice with me and i think it would have Help me realize earlier than having to try and navigate because university is crazy times, uh, especially when you move to a new city, meet all these new people. It's hard and sometimes you can lose yourself. And I think I've definitely over the course of the last four years lost myself or not ended up in the direction I wanted to be. So I'm really grateful that I was able to kind of find where I wanted to be and with all the people around me who have uh, helped help get me there, keep me humble I think it's just so important because that's, uh, you know, you people want to get things done and they want to create change, but trying to find the most effective way to do that is, is key. Absolutely. You said it exactly perfectly. And uh, I think that's a good uh, ending point, I would say. I would think so. Yeah. I hope so, yeah. Thank you for tuning into New Light Network. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can listen to New Light Network on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For more content, follow us on Instagram at newlightnet and check out our YouTube for more clips and behind the scenes content. I'll catch you on the next one. This is Ani signing off. Peace.